This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. I'm Phil McKinney, and welcome to my garage. You'll have to excuse the mess. Um, It's where I now help others like you go from idea to world-changing innovations. At the Kill Innovation Show, we're all about ideas, creativity, and innovations. We want to encourage you to take the risk, that idea that's kind of rattling around in the back of your head. Go out and change the world. And we're all about, in this show, finding those opportunities to educate, encourage, and show you kind of the tricks of the trade for those of us that have been in the innovation game for quite some time. Now, I regularly get emails from innovators looking for advice or feedback on an idea, And I literally will try to answer every email I get. And most are very appreciative of the time and the energy that it takes. Some of those have resulted in major new products. And in one case, a surprise stock since the startup couldn't afford to pay me. This was way back, probably in the early 90s. I got a call from a friend of mine. He was with a startup company in Silicon Valley. Um, I was living on the East Coast. Um, He was in a space that I had some expertise in. He asked for me to come out. I went out, spent a week. I actually took one week vacation from my current job and went out and spent a week with him and his team helping them design the product. Now, in my mind, I was doing this for a friend, didn't really think about it. And it was probably four or five years later I got a phone call during the uh, the big dot-com boom in which a stockbroker was asking me what I wanted to do with this, these shares of stock. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, remember this company that you helped like six years ago with uh, that week of time that you gave them? And I go, yeah. And they go, well, they're going IPO and they had allocated you shares because they couldn't afford to pay you at the time for your advice. And I go, wow, really? Hadn't expected it. Well, lo and behold, those shares and the sale of those shares paid for almost uh, three quarters of my horse farm in Virginia. So (laughs) you get those kinds of uh, strange surprises, but there was no expectation. I was doing it as a friend and helping them out. Now, why would I be willing to do this? Why is this whole concept of sharing so important to me? For me, it came from my very first mentor. My mentor taught me to give away more than you take. That's the, it's just the right thing to do. It helps you build up the relationships, and you can call on those relationships that you build up, those friendships that you create when you need them. Now, I was immersed in this kind of culture when I went to Silicon Valley the first time in 1984, and it's just the way Silicon Valley operates. You give people your time. You give them access to your contacts. You give them access to your Rolodex, to your LinkedIn list. Uh, You give them advice and feedback when they ask for it. And without the expectation of getting anything back, there isn't this, okay, I gave you a contact, you now owe me something. In the case of Silicon Valley, the sharing approach is just given without the expectation that you're going to give anything back. Now, that's within reason. If you're asking for ongoing extensive help and advice, then you should be willing to either pay for it or you give equity to an advisor who's helping you out a lot. Now, when I moved to the East Coast in the 90s, um, I saw that the culture of the Silicon Valley was somewhat unique. Now, in the other parts, you know, if you're asking for advice or contacts like on the East Coast, people don't openly share. They guard their information. You know, they constantly are asking, you know, so what's in it for me? 
Now, my wife and I, we grew up in Chicago um, and kind of grew up with those strong Midwest beliefs where just sharing is just part of society, especially when things are tough. You share what you have with less fortunate. It's one of the reasons why with our move to Colorado here a couple of years ago following my retirement as CTO at Hewlett Packard, uh, we found that same sharing belief. The startup community in Boulder, Colorado, the startup community in the Denver Tech Center. But I also advise companies all over the world. In fact, the end of this week, I'll be going to uh, London, spending some time with some startup companies there. I'll be on a little bit of a of a vacation time. But for me, vacation is actually going out and finding startup companies that I can go help. And I like going out there and sharing and, and having these kinds of engagements and these kinds of conversations. But for me, it's also about helping people find that that kind of that that, that flame within themselves, the thing that kind of is that spark that's going to get them to go try something new, try something different, have that idea rattling around in the back of their head. Now, one of the the quick clues for me when I'm talking with a CEO of a startup that they haven't really bought into kind of this sharing concept is they're asked for a non-disclosure agreement. A lot of CEOs will ask for an NDA right out of the gate, first part of the conversation. You know, great, Phil, glad you're here, glad you can help. However, I need for you to sign this NDA before we can start the conversation. In the case of Silicon Valley, nobody asks for NDAs anymore. Venture capitalists will not sign them. Advisors such as myself will not sign them because we see so many companies and we see so many things. We don't want to get wound up in a situation where someone believes they got ripped off. So, albeit people who are in the valley, we are very protective of the information we're given. You know, if you know, you can check someone's reputation. Is this someone that if you're going to share it with them, are they going to rip it off? But the challenge on ripping off isn't so much that they now know your idea and all of a sudden that idea emerges 10 years down the line because the value is not in the idea. The value is in the execution. It is getting out there and actually doing something with it. It's not about, I've got this thing written in my moleskin and it's sitting on the shelf. Look, I'm sitting here next to my desk in Colorado. I can look over. I've got this big, huge Tupperware bucket sitting here next to my desk. And there's probably 75 or 80 moleskin notebooks full of ideas that I've collected over the last 30 years. Right? The value of those ideas sitting in that Tupperware container is the value of the Tupperware container and how much it costs me to buy the moleskins. Until I'm willing to open those up, find the best ideas, and then actually go off and translate them into something, that's where value is created. I can't tell you how many times I sit down in a, you know, at, a, at an event or after a speech and someone will come up and say, you know, such and such, new product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, well, I came up with it first. Well, there's no value in the fact that you came up with it. The value came in the person who actually did something with it. And when it comes to being an innovator, sharing allows you to build that ecosystem. It allows you to connect with other innovators. Because let's face it, it's lonely out here as an innovator. You got the corporate antibodies telling you, no, 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 your idea is not any good. It's not gonna, it's not gonna make it. Um, you've got, you know, even in some cases, family members telling you, no, 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 take the safe job. Don't, don't, uh, don't take that risk. Don't bet the, you know, a little bit of our life savings into your new idea. 
So finding other innovators, finding people that are like-minded, that are doing interesting work, that becomes part of uh, one of those key uh, processes from the standpoint of sharing. And let's face it, we all share. We've either shared with somebody or someone's shared with us. So is there that one person who gave you that one piece of advice, in my case, my early mentor? Or did someone introduce you to, to somebody that turned out to being a great customer or a great long-term contact? Or in the case of Silicon Valley, were you introduced to the VC that actually funded your startup? And who shared you with you at critical times? could be someone that early boss that early career think about how you felt when someone shared with you and now the question is is how do you share with somebody on the other side so how do you find those opportunities from the standpoint of uh finding those opportunities to share find for me like here in the case of colorado i'm new to colorado i do not know many startups here yet so in my case, I go to these meetups, I go to incubators, I get invited to come speak, I go out and I find companies that I'm interested in being engaged in and, and advising. Today, I'm probably advising maybe four or five companies. I don't take a lot on just because of the time commitment. But I'll tell you, with me and that kind of that sharing mentality, giving away everything I know, not holding on to it, I get so much more back in watching these entrepreneurs take that idea, take that spark, and actually go out and try to do something with it. So the question is, is when people have shared with you and that's been helpful, the next question for you is, how do you pay it forward? How do you help others? And let's not turn into a me society. And as innovators, we want to be part of this innovation culture. We want to innovate to solve problems. And rarely can we solve problems doing it alone. Innovation is a team sport. So share when someone is asking for help and be willing to ask for help when you need it. And this ties into today's guest. Today's guest, Brian Kramer, has a new book out called Shareology. It's shot onto the number one list of I don't know how many book lists to these days. But we're going to have a chance to spend some time with Brian. He's going to share with us his view on sharing. So stay with you. Stay right where you're at. If you want to learn more about ideas of creativity, ping us at Innovate at 33444. Stay right there. I'm Phil McKinney, and you're listening to Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. BizTalk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. I'm Phil McKinney, and you're listening to Killer Innovations. As we talked about in segment one, today's show, we're talking about sharing and how important that is both from your own success, but it's also about paying it forward and helping others. Our guest today is Brian Kramer. Brian's latest book, Shareology, made USA Today's top 150 book list, list the week it was released, as well as the number one on Amazon in a number of the categories. The, board, the book explores the history, art, and science of sharing and illustrates why sharing 
kind of gives you that unique competitive advantage. It's not that opposite perspective of holding on to things, but by sharing it, you actually increase unique competitive advantage, both for you as an individual, but also for corporations. So, Brian, hey, how are you doing? And it's been way too long since we've gotten together. (laughs) It sure has. Uh, I'm doing great, and uh, thanks for having me on the show today. Man, all I know is that by Facebook, I just see you're, like, jetting all over the place, man. I thought... You know, I've, I've, re- I've hung up my wings. <laughs> it looks like you've picked them up. <laughs> yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, and uh, and I remember back when you and I uh, had lunch here in San Jose and I was just starting on my my blog that you got me going on. And um, and, and you were telling me about your travels and, and I got so excited. I think I went and, and, and uh, tried, tried it a little, a little for myself here. <laughs> well, it's like I said, you know, be careful what you share, right? People may take and run with it. And congratulations yeah. on the book, man. It is, it is really great. It's really Thank great. You. I really enjoyed it. So tell Thank me, you very why, much. What, what got you all hooked up on this whole sharing kind of mantra that you're out there doing now? What is it that kind of got that spark for you? And why do you think it's so important for us? Mm. Yeah. So, uh, um, well, the, the book is an extension of my first book, um, human to human. Uh, there's no B2B or B2C, it's human to human. And, and so I actually started this book um, two years ago, but I ended up putting it down, setting it aside because uh, my first book was kind of a surprise baby. I didn't really plan it. Um, and so at the end of the day, um, I tell the story uh, both in the book and in my TED talk that uh, several years ago, I kind of lost my way a little bit. And I started to uh, get out there and start sharing, um, both educating through interviews like this and, and, and meeting people through social media and so on and so forth. And before I knew it, it was giving so much back to me in spades that I started to um, recollect myself and figure out what I wanted to do and how I could provide value back to the company that I had um, built. And so, um, you know, that, that sharing was bor- born for me as, as something that not only helped others, but it also helped me too. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look back, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, as I was saying in segment one about the kind of the culture also of Silicon Valley, where you just find that people just kind of give that, that, that sharing away, you know, they share their contacts, they share their experiences and their expertise. Um, In the case of you and I, you and I met because we both were serving on the executive board for the Boy Scouts of America at the Silicon, sorry, the Silicon Valley Council, you heading up the mm-hmm. marketing, and I and I had the enviable job of heading up the fundraising. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you. But you uh, sh- what was it? You you collected the money. I spent the money. Yeah, that was kind of the, that, that was definitely the analogy, or at least the hard time I gave you on the board. Right, <laughs> the more you spent, it meant, it meant more. The more I had to raise for the nonprofits. So. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's it's also that whole concept of the fact that, you know, do you keep everything locked away and keep it for yourself and treat everything as proprietary confidential or do you get mm. out there and share it? So talk a little bit about kind of your your perspective on, on that role as far as particularly in the context of Silicon Valley and the in the in the kind of the culture that's that's grown up there. Yeah, well, so. Yeah, Silicon Valley is a kind of a unique animal, and you you know that as well as I do. 
um, having been here. So it's it's um, but but it's it's not that unlike anywhere else. I mean, everyone always faces that single question of um, what do I have to share and why would people want to listen to me? And um, and, you know, when you when you think about that and you think about the 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 challenge, what each of us faces when we we, um, face that question, um, you know, it, it's it's kind of surprising. Um, you know, I had a friend of mine who we were hiking a week ago, and he was asking me exactly that question. He said, "Why why would anybody want to hear what I have to say?" And um, on on different things, and and I said, "Take this for instance. Uh, Ten minutes ago, while we were hiking, uh, you were showing me all the ins and outs of this app called Runkeeper, which I hadn't used before, and you were showing me how it could track things and how it could show me the trends and how it could help me." lose weight and how your friends could support each other. And the, the list goes on and on with everything you shared with me. And I said, you know, shame on you for not sharing that with me a year ago. <laughs> I could have learned so much if you had shared that, you know, with me a long time ago. And he's like, yeah, okay. I said, now how many things do you know like that, that, you know, you could share, um, you know, and educate me and it would help me, you know, be, uh, be healthier, be more educated on any number of topics that, you know, and he said, you know, yeah, you're right. I think I do have a number of things. I said, you know, there's, there's, there's always things we're all influencers on something. We all are passionate about something, at least one thing, at the very least. And we know a lot about that thing, so why not share it? And I think, um, you know, not just Silicon Valley, but everywhere, um, everyone has that kind of information stored away and, and, um, and can really help people. And once you help people, man, the doors just open wide up. Yeah, and I think you're, that that's the exact point, right? Is when people, you start sharing, what you find is, is that there is an audience for whatever it is you're interested in, whatever it is you're thinking about, right? And many people think, oh, nobody wants to listen to me. But they, uh, you know, you've, all of a sudden you start finding in what you think is a niche audience, you know, it turns out to be a much bigger audience than what you'd ever even anticipated. I mean, look, you know, I started this, what turned out as this radio show, started off as a podcast 11 years ago. And I thought it was going to be a pretty niche little thing talking about, innovation and creativity and how do you and how do you take products and bring them to to market etc and then it's just kind of continue to grow and expand and 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 now, now i've got to, um this radio show so we're going to stay right where we're at and and brian what i'm going to ask is in the next segment is for you to think about when we come back for you to give kind of three recommendations on how people can kind of get started on this whole concept of sharing and really how do you share the um you know what is it they how to get people started from this whole concept this whole sharing concept it's it's harder than than it it sounds for some people because some people have just been so private for so long so when we come back from the uh the segment uh, from the commercial break uh brian if you could do that that would be great stay right where you're at I'll be posting links to everything we talked about in the show notes at Conovations.com, so go check it out. The site is up, and uh, we'll be right back. I'm Phil McKinney, and you're listening to Killer Innovations.
News Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. I'm Phil McKinney, and you're listening to Killer Innovations. Today's guest for today's show is Brian Kramer. He's the author of a new book. It's been out for about a month or so, I guess now, Shareology. It's on the, the bestsellers list on so many, I've lost track now. Brian and I have known each other for a number of years. Uh, when uh, During my years in Silicon Valley when I was at HP, Brian is also the CEO for Pure Matter, um, a digital marketing um, firm based in Silicon Valley that, uh, uh, that I got connected to. So uh, with Brian's book, I had a personal interest and a personal passion and have seen Brian actually uh, exhibit not only um, – you know, the whole sharing concept that I talked about in segment one, but also kind of the precepts of what uh, is in his book, Shareology. So, so Brian, at the end of the last segment, I asked you to think about three things that you kind of learned in the process of writing the book. You, know, you talk about in the kind of description of the book about how sharing gives us a unique competitive advantage as individuals and brands. So what are the three things that the listeners can walk away, take away with um, from today based on uh, kind of a synopsis view of what you've learned while writing the book? Yeah. Well, um, so, so that's, uh, I'm going to try and be brief on that because there's so many uh, ways and things for different kinds of people. And in fact, in the book, I break it down into diff- six different types of personas um, and and everyone can kind of take something away from a different persona because some of us, uh, like myself, are introverts. So how do in- introverts share um, and how do extroverts share? And you know everyone's different. So um, you know here's the three that I would I would I would uh, recommend. One is um, you know we live in a we live in a place where um, where we um, basically need to focus on our so our brands our personal brands. Um, and, and we're representing both our personal brands for the business that we work on or in. And uh, that personal brand is a lot stronger now than it ever has been. Uh, employees have a chance now to be the voice of a brand externally. That's the no B2B or B2C. We all have a direct connection to the customer. Um, that's that's uh, that's important because now you want to you want to be able to build your social body language. Your um, you're, when you're online and you're looking across the spectrum of everything that you can do to share your um, uh, yourself on multi uh, on different levels. And, and the reason I say that is because um, we're you know as humans we're complex. We have a lot of multi-dimensional. Um, you know, we have emotions, we have, um, you know, we have different um, ways that we approach certain instances and, 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 and our sharing plays a part in all of that. And at the end of the day, um, that plays a part into how people perceive us. So the first thing is um, you have to build your social body language. You have to build your, um, your, your persona online uh, in the most authentic way possible and, um, and make sure that it is uh, allowing people to see who you are, who you truly authentically are. Number two is um, 
is that, um, and I and I talk more about this in the book, but there's actually a formula that I arrived to um, on sharing that includes the um, the. Uh, it's basically what I boiled everything down to, um, and and I, I did over 250 interviews with uh, social linguists and psychologists and executives and so on and so forth, and. What it basically boiled down to is this. Um, what you share um, it is perceived on the same level of, um, of how they, of, of the content that you share. And what that basically means, put very simply, is you are what you share. So if you were to take a piece of content and you were to share it every day for the next five days, like if you were to share The Economist, um, every day for the next five days, guess what would happen? People would start to identify you around The Economist. And I don't know why I picked The Economist, because that's something I'd probably never do. But um, if you were to uh, do anything around sharing, around specific types of content, people will know that's what you're interested in. They'll, that's what they'll start to identify you over. Now, here's the third thing. Uh, actually, uh, just real quick before I move on, you, 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 the good news is that you can change everyone's perception. And, and again, you have to do it authentically, but, um, but you, being that you are what you share, if you want to be perceived differently through authenticity, you can change what you share and you will start to change the uh, direction of how you're per perceived. So the, the final thing um, is uh, that you don't, if you're just getting started, a lot of people are still getting started on figuring out what it is that their passion is and what to share. Um, don't think about it in terms of what, uh, don't get caught up on the topic of what you have to share. Interview others. Go out there and find people that you want to help tell their stories. And in doing so, you're A, you're going to meet new people, B, you're going to learn new things, and C, you're going to share that information that they have and help them out. And I guarantee you that you're going to make different kinds of connections on different levels simply by taking that one tactic of interviewing others and helping to share their story. It's going to come back to help you. It just will. So I would say that those are the three really important points if you take anything away from the book. Again, I have it divided up the whole book into the, the art and the science side, so you can you can learn a little bit about both, but it kind of boils down to those three things. Well, I think the, the, the particularly on item number three, right, don't get caught up on your topic, right? Because I think people kind of get into this, you know, self-talk, you know, I'm not an expert, no one's going to listen to me. But this advice on finding out what others want to share and then share their story that is, I just find that really intriguing from the standpoint of, of how that plays out. Because, one, you help share, you get, you get a message out in helping other people share. And in some cases, you actually may find that one topic that actually is something that you can kind of wrap yourself around. Getting back to your point number two, which is what you share is, is what you share and, and what you are really the, one and the same thing. Yeah, it, it really is. And you know what? I This is exactly what how I started on my path. Um, I went out and started to interview people uh, just like you're, you're, you're doing here and have been doing for a, a lot longer than, than I have. I, I went out and did uh, interviews on camera, and I found myself just sitting there intrigued with their story. Like It, it was almost like I forget the ca forgot the cameras were even there. 
Um, and and before I knew it, the you know the thirty minutes of being on camera was like lightning fast. I learned so much, and then like we went to share the interview, and everyone else got a chance to actually be with us because they were watching obviously what the same thing that I just went through. And I just felt like, you know, it's really, it's really all about connection, right? Um, all, everything that we do um, as we're sharing, the only reason that we share is because of one thing, that's connection. We share to connect with people. We share to connect with new, uh, new uh, relationships. And at the end of the day, if everything's about building relationships, to build your business, to build your life, to be happy in what you do, then, um, then you can't afford not to share because that's how you build connection in, in the most authentic way possible. Yeah, I think that's an important point, right? It's, it's, it, it is comes down to you emphasize it in the second bullet, which was the whole issue of authenticity, right? And how do you how do you come across as being authentic? You can't make this stuff up. You can't fake it. Yeah, there are people that do, and you can tell right away. And um, and so you know the as you're and and this I walk through this as well in the book, but it's trying to find your voice. Um, you know, we're, we're, we all go through that, right? Like, what? Who am I? What? Am I, what is my voice? Like, what? Why? Why? Why is it that what I have to say is important or not, and all that kind of stuff? And that's why I really um, always suggest that you start in with finding your voice through learning through other people, through other interviews, and eventually you'll just find your voice. Don't try too hard. Um, if you try too hard, that's where the inauthenticity comes. And you don't want that. So um, the, no, the, that's, that, that's, the real... that's exactly right. You don't. You, you got to make sure that you're authentic. So as we come up at the end of the end, end of the segment here, uh, Brian, if people want to follow what you're doing, how can they find you? Yeah, really easy. Uh, just go to go to my website, and and I've got just about everything there. My um, books, podcasts, and things to learn from. Um, my my social handles, all that kind of stuff. It's uh, BrianKramer.com. And that's Brian with a Y and Kramer with a K. Uh, so pretty easy to connect with me there. And, and uh, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all those other nice uh, platforms as well. Great. Hey, Brian, really appreciate you coming, spending the time with us. If you want to stay connected with us here at Kill Innovations, text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., drop an email to INNOVATE at KillInnovations.com. When we come back, I've got, have I got a killer question for you for this week. So stay tuned. I'm Phil McKinney, and this is Kill Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. So how are you doing with the weekly creative muscle exercises? My objective in this segment of the show is to give you challenges each week that will cause you to exercise and discover your creativity. So get out your moleskin or whatever you use to capture your ideas. It could be a napkin, back of a piece of paper, an Evernote app running on your phone. 
but carry it with you and get in the habit of writing down whatever inspires you, frustrates you, or ideas you hear from others. As each week goes by, it becomes easier to do this collection process. And after a month or so, when you go back and you look through that list, you'll see that there's just some really great ideas. So as you know, I'm a big believer in the power of questions. They cause you to stop and have to consider that question in a response to the answer. Your brain cannot stop, stop itself from answering the question. So each week I pose a question that causes you to hopefully stop and think a little bit. This week's question's a little bit different. It's not about customers and it's not about your product. It's really a question to ask yourself about how do you innovate? If you're inside of an organization, do you have an innovation team? So the question this week is, is how, who is working on your innovation efforts? Or where does your innovation effort really occur? Is it just within a, a specified part of your team? Is it your entire organization? Or are there other places where it could be done? So again, this week's killer question is, is who's working on your innovation efforts? And where else can it be done? And this is basically talking about how you innovate. So what is your organization's philosophy about innovation? Is it only done by people that are more senior, or is it only done by the R&D organizations? And there's two school of thoughts here. Do you keep it as an in-house activity, meaning it's done within and you build up your own expertise, or do you outsource it as needed? Do you hire talent for specific products or specific services? Now, neither is right or wrong. It's not like you, know, you should always do it in-house or you should outsource everything. You know, look at a company like Herman Miller. You know, they made the, the Aeron chair, which is the iconic design for office furniture. Instead, you know, you would think they would, that they would do it internally, but they don't do their innovation internally. The way Herman Miller works is they outsource the innovation to leading designers that have their own firms. So, for instance, Charles and Ray Eames designed the, the classic 1950 Eames chair that way for Herman Miller. Um, and Herman Miller knows they do this because they know their strength. Their strength is in manufacturing and distributing the final product, and they bring in world-leading designers to actually design their furniture. And it allows them then to focus on where they have that practical expertise, but there's other things they contribute. They have expertise in ergonomics, and you know, which is kind of the, the less obvious details on how do you make a chair comfortable. But they also share that knowledge with the designers and innovators, and then it's all brought together and really is part of designing this next generation of furniture. Now, Herman Miller has a very different idea of where design, research, and development should take place. They've, they've adopted the philosophy that it's more important to ensure that the best and brightest are working on your products and that that is a higher priority than making sure that the work is done in-house. So their focus is not on... Do I have the right people in-house? But how do I get the best and the brightest, no matter where they are, to work on, on our products? And sometimes it, you have to put your resources in the right place to get the right results. Sometimes you just don't have it, the, that expertise in-house. And in some cases, you just can't afford it. You, know, you only need those expertise for a short period of time. You're better off bringing them in when you need them and outsourcing them and finding that expertise um, outside. And, the fact is, is that you're never going to find 100% of what you need. If you think you have 100% of the expertise you need, you're either overpaying for those expertise or you think you've got an expertise in an area that you just flat out don't have. So uh, another part of this whole challenge of, of looking at innovation and where you do it at is this whole concept of open innovation. 
And open innovation is a hot topic for the last four years. And open innovation is the approach where an organization goes outside to secure a funnel of ideas. It's not just go hire a designer and design a new piece of office furniture. But how do you go off and create a consistent funnel that's coming in? So there's some companies that you know leverage state universities to leverage you know government-funded research. Um, other companies sponsor promising high school students in the hope that you know they'll join their workforce after graduation. Um, the U.S. government uses a program like TopCoder to create open channels for ideas coming in from software development expertise. And then there's companies like Procter and Gamble that post really their toughest engineering problems out on websites. And they offer prizes for the first person to come up with a solution. So how does this affect your business? It doesn't matter how big your business is, whether you're a a 10-person startup or a 240,000-employee multinational. One of the challenges for innovation today is that in order to come up with those, you've got to have that constant source. And so, therefore, how do you go do that? How do you go secure that that expertise? and the, 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 the other challenge is, is the fact that there's no one company has enough funding to generate all the innovations we need. Innovations used to be all about confidentiality and funding your own research. And the future is different. This is a shift towards the knowledge economy. And that is really becoming critically important. It's about the value of the ideas. So are you doing the innovation 100% internally or should you go outside? How confident are you that you have the best expertise? And what would be the results if you radically changed your approach? So, again, this week's question is, is who's working on your innovation efforts? And for you to think about where else could it be done? So, so set aside 15 minutes a day. Think about that. Come up with three or four ways that you can find new ideas. Share your homework. Email them to me at phil at killerinnovations.com. And uh, I'll uh, respond to every question. Also, don't forget, if you want to stay connected, in, uh, text the word innovate to 33444 if you're outside the U.S. and the email to innovate at killinnovations.com. Check out killinnovations.com uh, uh, website. We've, uh, it's coming out of alpha mode. It's in beta, so we love to have your feedback. And so love to hear from you on all of those uh, uh, new ideas, new shows. Don't miss out on all the other great shows over at BizTalk Radio Network. Go visit biztalkradio.com. You can also download the mobile app. Today's show was engineered by Hunter, who has the difficult task of trying to keep me on track, um, watching the uh, proverbial radio show clock. But I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a note, phil at killerinnovations.com. I'm Phil McKinney, and don't let the innovation antibodies get you down. Keep on innovating. Opinions you hear on Biz Talk Radio are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, Biz Talk Radio, its management, or advertisers. The information on Biz Talk Radio does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service. If you have any questions about Biz Talk Radio, contact us at 817-274-1609 or at biztalkradio.com. Biz Talk Radio. 